Good evening. Hello, KZOX listeners. Thank you for being with us here tonight. As many of you, the regular listener, listeners to this lot know, I'm doing a series called Surviving Late Stage Capitalism, What's Next? And my guest tonight is Kashmir Woods. Kashmir is teaching, is working with people on using psilocybin mushrooms for microdosing. We're going to talk to her about the therapeutic properties and and how the psilocybin microdosing can help us with both personal and collective healing. Okay, let's bring her on. Hello, Kashmir. Good evening. How are you? Great, Kashmir. You've you've told me that this is the first time you've been live on a radio show. Yes, it is. Well, thank you so much for being with us here tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So there's so many ways that we could go here. I hardly know where to start. So first of all, let's start with you going ahead and introducing yourself to our radio audience here. Tell us a little bit about who you are and how you became involved with psilocybin. Well, I am a stay-at-home mom, and I became involved with psilocybin on my personal growth to heal from childhood traumas and, you know, just the stressors that we deal with every day and severe depression. I started microdosing at the beginning of this year because my depression was getting too much and I'm I sorry, felt I'm going lost. to inter- interrupt for just a second. I just I don't want to assume that everybody knows what microdosing is. So, so could you describe that to us, please? Microdosing is taking psilocybin in small, small quantities so that you're not feeling the trip of the mushrooms, but your brain is getting the healing properties of the mushrooms, and you go on and have a normal day with a little gentle insight on your behavior. Microdosing helps. It helps with our emotions and with depression and other mental stressors and traumas and some brain injuries like recovering from strokes. And if you have Alzheimer's, it's helpful with that also. It improves our cognitive mind. Okay. Can you talk? tell us a little about, I know many... Many places are decriminalizing uh, psilocybin. Let's talk about that for a second. And uh, and also, it's very interesting to me that this thing, that these magic mushrooms, they've been so stigmatized over the years, and now we're seeing efforts to decriminalize their use and, and accept them in therapeutic circles. So let's talk about that uh, for a few minutes. Yes. John Hopkins is doing a lot of studies on... PTSD with veterans and just mental health and therapy using psychedelics. And so, yeah, now they're getting closer to decriminalizing it, which is a wonderful thing because many people do not get help from antidepressants and the mood stabilizers that we have available to us. So... Now they're looking into all the benefits of using psychedelics for our overall well-being. Mm. It's great. Yes, please tell us a little about you are you are offering a course. I understand to tell, to teach me how about microdosing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, in my course, I talk about the history of microdosing and the religious aspects of it for personal growth. Microdosing and, you know, the use of psychedelics has been around for centuries. But here in America, you know, the war on drugs made it so we didn't get to really continue studying what they do. But there are still many cultures around the world that use psychedelics as a group in like a whole community settings. And it's 
in my course, I talk about the facts on microdosing, the history, how it affects the brain, and different microdosing protocols. Tell us a little bit how it does affect the brain. Well, psychedelics act on the serotonin 5H receptors, and these receptors are found in our nervous system, and they govern the aspects of our moods, our thinking, and our our bowel movements. So psychedelics, they bind most effectively to these receptors, and it helps with learning, memory, and cognition. So when you consume only a microdose, it gives your brain the chance to heal and to focus on these abilities, and it helps to <clears throat> heal our nerves, and it promotes growth in our nerves also in the brain. Yes, well, full disclosure here, I since my a little while back, Many people here know that I had a stroke four years ago that almost killed me. And I started microdosing a little while ago. And, and has that been helpful? Well, I think so. I mean, it's hard to say. Um, I can't know what it's like to not do it at this point because I've been doing it for a few months. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that it's helpful. I look forward to, I do look forward to doing it in the morning. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and and uh yeah um i don't experience i i don't experience a trip by any means but sometimes you can sort of feel the edge of it but i do believe i i'm glad to give my brain some other things besides pharmaceuticals yeah me too i had spent a lot of time as a child on different pharmaceuticals and at one point I was just like I can't take these anymore because they're hurting me I got suicidal and I noticed that I was more eager to hurt myself while I was taking them and if you tell a doctor this they're like oh it's because we need to up your dose we yeah, gotta we'll up, up that dose, dose right? like <laughs> <laughs> And it's terrible because I don't believe that they actually help us. I believe that they cause more damage than good. You mean the, the SSRIs that they prescribe you at the, at the, at the yeah. doctor's office? Okay. Yes. And now, since I've been microdosing, I feel pretty wonderful. Like, I haven't been depressed and there are many things going on in my life where I feel like I should be depressed, but I'm not. I'm more grateful about life. I have not fantasized about walking into traffic, and my smiles are real, and they're not just to fit in. Uh -huh. So I appreciate the mushrooms and what they're doing for me. Let's talk about um, a friend of mine who is very involved with the whole psilocybin movement. Wanted us, wanted me to be sure that we talked about the different formulas that could be in microdose. Oh yes, my favorite. I know there's not just not just the hallucinogenic kind. I'm sorry, you go ahead, please. Catch me oh on. no, my favorite formula is the psilocybin, the niacin, and lion's mane. Now, niacin is a vitamin B3, and we get it in food, but it washes away when we cook it. Well, it enhances the effects of psilocybin and lion's mane because the transition of the blood-brain barrier is facilitated, allowing the psilocybin and the lion's mane to better penetrate the body. B3 helps to renew cells and metabolism, and that's really important for our DNA and our muscles. Now, lion's mane has been used for centuries because of its ability to strengthen the brain. It helps the nerve growth factor, ensuring that 
our neurons in the brain deteriorate less rapidly. So it can produce better and be more protected. Because as you get older, the body is less able to keep the brain's functions vital. So the nerve growth factor helps to slow down the aging process. So when you feel as if you are forgetting more quickly and you have a cloudy brain, lion's mane is very beneficial. And because of all the stressors and depression and anxiety and all the things in the world, it's possible that everyone's brain is exhausted. So lion's mane gives the brain a boost and it helps your cognitive functions. Whether you're healthy or you have Alzheimer's disease or other diseases that affect the cognitive functions. So lion's mane, psilocybin, and niacin together is really great for people who want to become better at speaking, organizing thoughts and motor skills, creativity, and have a stronger, healthier mind. This formula is meant to improve the memories and increase intelligence. So it's also helps us be able to react faster and process stimuli and balance and it is it just improves our whole mindset vitality and mental health uh thank you for that i want to take us i want to take us back a little bit we'll get back to what you're talking about here with your course but i would like to explore with you why why do you think that obviously traditional cultures all across the planet have used hallucinogens for millennia, for medicine, for spiritual insight, for social cohesion. I'd like to hear your thoughts on why why that changed, why these hallucinogens became so stigmatized. Well, that changed. It first changed during the Spanish conquest of the Aztecs. The Catholic Church was like, hey, no more sacraments, because we used to take mushrooms and ayahuasca and other hallucinogenics. We used to take them in church for our religious ceremonies. And one day, you know, the Catholics decided to ban them. And since that ban has happened, it's happened in more places than just America. And then... America, you know, they had their war on drugs, and they're like, we got to ban everything. And I think it really hurt us as a culture and just all together because, like, you know, psychedelics help people be happier. And if you're a community that's happier and healthier, then you're not going out just, you know, murdering people and doing all of these terrible acts. I believe that some governments don't want healthy societies because healthy societies cannot be ruled and manipulated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> yes, it seems to me that, like the threat of hallucinogens is nobody really knows what's going to happen when you take them. And right. in our in our culture, which is very much about control, economic control, spiritual control, political control, having having people take substances where they might not stay with your program is very threatening to that that authoritarian structure. Absolutely, uh, and I'll, you know, mushrooms are like at the bottom of the list for harm caused by drugs. But alcohol is at the top, and we can have alcohol as freely as we want, but we can't have mushrooms. It's crazy. Yes, I remember in my own personal history, I was a college student in the 1980s, and in a psychology class, it really stood out to me. I was a freshman, and my psychology professor, he was addressing a big group of us. There was about 300 young people. It was a... 100 level course introductory and he started talking about in this country LSD was outlawed I don't remember the year but before it was the psychology psychology people were very interested in, in using LSD to study the psychology of human beings 
Yeah. And all of a sudden, they they have all their studies interrupted because the government said no more LSD. Period. Not not even for research. Yeah. I remember I remember him standing in, in this hall, and being attacked by all the students who, who had all bought into the LSD is this awful evil thing. So they outraged that a professor could say, "Well, we were learning some good stuff from there, and we should go back to it." He was attacked by hundreds of these students, <laughs> but he uh, held his ground. I was sitting there. Of course, I I was raised in then back east, and certainly had been taught to have all this fear of LSD and other drugs. They did those things as a student. You had anti-drug programs, and they terrified you. What would happen if you took a hit of a joint? Or one had asked you, you were gonna, you were gonna melt and all this stuff, <laughs> or you would be suicidal, and they terrified us. Yeah, I was terrified to try psychedelics. Also, I've heard so many horror stories of people going crazy and just doing awful stuff, and it's kept me away. So. um as I mentioned, the theme of this show is surviving late stage capitalism. What's next? Because I want to start. I want us to, as a community to start thinking about our future in these perilous times. What is next? So maybe you could talk a little bit how you see uh, psilocybin or other hallucinogens contributing to our collective healing. Oh, I I see great things. I think that. People are wanting something better. People are noticing that the way we're going, it's not right and something's wrong. And now that other that places like John Hopkins are allowed to start doing these studies and the treatments, people want it because they are depressed and we're going through stuff as a collective. And the more that the psychedelics get out, the better it will be. I think it will heal so many people spiritually and mentally. And that is extremely important because our, we're going through some hard times right now. And if we don't get that change, it's just going to get harder. So I'm really looking forward to the way things are going right now. It looks like maybe in like two years, California will let them be legal. Okay. <clears throat> I just want to reintroduce the show for a minute because we've been talking for a while. This is Chris Skyhawk on KZYX, the Universal Perspectives. My guest is Kashmir Woods, and we're talking about psilocybin and the power of hallucinogens to heal us personally and collectively. So, Kashmir, I will, you will segue into that very nicely. Let's talk about what jurisdictions are decriminalizing. Uh, you know, I don't like to say recreational use. Let's say therapeutic use. I know that you can use them, I believe, in Oregon, Oakland, and Colorado. Fresno is working on it. I'm not sure about other places, though. Okay. And uh, I would like to open up the phone lines if anybody wants to join our conversation. The phone is 707-895-2448. Give us a call if you want to be part of the conversation here with Cashmere Woods. And uh, I follow these things online, and the... You mentioned it earlier how SSRIs really don't work, <laughs> but we've been so we've been sold this thing. I don't know how much money the drug companies have made off of selling antidepressants, but it's got to be in the billions. Yeah, and there's really no proof that they work. We were just told that they do, and the way our medical system is. You can't argue, and it drives me crazy because, you know, if I'm sitting here telling you that this medication is hurting me and is causing my symptoms to get worse, I feel like doctors should be like, well, you know, let's find another way then because, you know, I mean, 
maybe there are some people in the world who do get help, and I'm glad for those people, but it's not a one-pill-fits-all situation. I actually, when I think of it, I don't know anybody who's taking SSRIs who got help from them. I don't either. I watched my mom struggle with drug addictions and also be um, bipolar. Kajimur, we do have a call. I'm going to take them on, okay? Okay. Hello, Kali. You're live on the air at KZYX with Chris Skyhawk and Kajimur Woods. Please ask, ask my guest a question. Yes, I have actually a couple of questions. The first one that comes to mind is, and I, I may, I was reading while I was listening, so I could have missed something, I confess, but um, would, would you have mm, a practitioner like yourself there with a person if they were doing it, you know, doing the, the microdosing, or did you just go off and do it on your own or whatever? might depend on the person. And then the second question would be, have you worked with groups of people like for healing relationships? And would that be, would you think it would be wise to have a, I don't know if practitioner is the right word, have somebody, uh, I don't know, a, a wise witness. And so I'm hoping you'll talk about that after I hang up. Well, those are great questions. Thank you so much, caller. I guess what she's I, why is she saying is is the per, people who are microdosing are they are, are they overseen or do they have a companion or anything like that? How do, how does that work? How do they get support have, as they go through? Having a companion with you is a wonderful thing because um, it can be scary to try something new and. If you have someone with you, then you also have someone who is witnessing the changes. Now, I know that they are doing therapy sessions where people actually take a full dose and not a microdose, and they're in a dark room listening to music while their therapist is next to them. And after they're done with their trip, they will talk about their experience on the trip and what it made them feel and what they got out of it. And that is wonderful. There should be a lot more of that. I know that when they are working with the veterans who, are, who have PTSD, I believe that sometimes they're using LSD and they have done three sessions of a dose of LSD during therapy, and it has been very improving for them. Some of them have been like, their PTSD is just kind of doesn't feel like it's even there anymore. So therapy with microdosing or taking a full dose is wonderful, and there are a lot of holistic practitioners that do group settings and setting is very important like going out into nature while you're on a dose is important and making sure that you can be in a room quietly or listening to meditation music it's all helpful and group therapy on psilocybin is a wonderful thing and very helpful. It's helpful for the collective, not just yourself. So do you have a sense of what the protocol is? Let's say a veteran who has PTSD. Do you have a sense of what the therapeutic protocol would be? It would be to be with your therapist for a full dose and go through that experience with the therapist and then you would microdose. And again, when you microdose, you're not taking enough to have a trip, but you're taking enough to get the brain healing. And microdosing protocols, they call for like, you take a dose every other day because you need a day where you are not on it so that your brain can let these new connections keep growing. 
So I'm. And you, please go. You go, Kajimura. And you would do the micro dosing protocol for four to eight weeks, and then you would stop for a month, and then go back again for another four to eight weeks, and then stop for a month. So I am imagining. I, I'm just pretending for a second. I, let's say I'm a war veteran with serious PTSD. If I went to uh, someone who was skilled in terms of handling trauma, I would imagine I might take a dose of a hallucinogen, psilocybin, and basically be able to tell the person who was with me, yes, this bomb went off next to me. I saw these people killed, and I got shot, and I saw these terrible things happen. And I'm guessing that might be the way they go. Do you have any sense of that? Yes, you do talk about your trauma. It's it's easier to talk about your trauma when you are on the psychedelics. Why is that? Is that because the, uh, the usual social norms that we experience and cage ourselves inside of break down? Well, for myself, it's more helpful because I'm not feeling like I'm reliving it. I have this calmness in my body, and I don't feel all ashamed and afraid. But some people do get afraid. That's why it's good to have somebody with you. And your brain thinks differently. You start to think differently and maybe realize something that you never did before because you've got new paths going on in your brain. Yes, I would think that, getting back to my example of if I was a war veteran, and you talk about your own trauma here too, it seems like it gives you the opportunity to separate yourself from the stigmas the stimulus of the trauma. Yeah. You're basically kind of setting up a new world. You're saying to your brain, okay, that was then. These terrible things happened. This is now. We're going to rewire you. <laughs> yes. And having setting intentions before you take a dose is really important because, like, say you want to quit drinking. So you're going to tell yourself, hey, I need to quit drinking. It's bad for me. It's hurting my family, my friends, whatever you feel. And then you take the dose and you contemplate on not drinking and changing. It seems to me that that allows you to actually feel the pain that your alcoholism is causing the people that you love. Yes. It's no longer like an intellectual construct. Or, you know, people would say, oh, I'm such a terrible person, I drink and I hurt these people. And all of a sudden you can feel it, not just think it. Yeah. Gives you a little more empathy. Yeah. Which the world could use. It seems that way, huh? <laughs> yeah. I want to remind the if people want to call, be part of our conversation, 707-895-2448 if you have any thoughts or questions for our guests. Kashmir Woods. Well, this is, <clears throat> I'm a, a side segue into my own personal story here a little bit. In that okay. I've just been microdosing for some months now, but when I returned from my stroke, I quickly realized uh, that I had a, an opportunity. I was going to get a new brain out of the deal, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I was lucky that way. I was I was lucky that way. Some people get their clocks cleaned much more than I did. Yeah. So I quickly realized, you know, you're going to get to rewire this whole thing. And you get to, get to say, because I always had my long-term memory. So I, I could remember traumas that had as a kid that maybe screwed me up as an adult. And I really appreciate the opportunity to do that. <laughs> it's not a strategy I recommend for to people because it's kind of high risk, but 
Yeah, I have been going through some of my traumas as well, and I've been forgiving myself (gasps) for a lot of things. And, you know, when you go through traumas, sometimes you wish that you had known something and could have done it better, and you might just have such low self-esteem because of it, because you feel like you could have made something happen differently, but it's not our fault, you know? Yes. Please talk a little bit more about, I love that you brought up forgiveness. Can you tell, talk to us a little bit about what that means to you and how it has played into your process of healing? Forgiving myself has been something I've wanted to do for a long time. I just didn't know how. And right now, it just means that I know that I did something and I'm not punishing myself for it anymore. And I pray more and I'm grateful for who I am and to be here and forgiving myself plays a huge part in that. I don't feel so much shame and that's important to go on and be healthier and try to help others. You know, you can't be holding on to all the things you did wrong or that you couldn't change. So at a certain point, it sounds like you chose to, to heal rather than be caught in the trap of the trauma. Yes, that is what I've been choosing. Congratulations. Thank you for doing that. Well, thank you. I'm (laughs) happy that I'm doing this. I want to not keep these generational traumas, and I don't want my kids to constantly see me in this just depressed state and so unforgiving because... You know, that's not good for them, just like it's not good for me. Can you tell us how old your children are? My oldest is 18, and then I have 14-year-old, 13-year-old, 11, 9, 6, 3, and 1. Dang, you have a full plate, girl. (laughs) (laughs) I do. (laughs) But they are the most wonderful things that I have in the world. And I want to be better for them. So I want to tail back into forgiveness. You're probably familiar familiar with the term radical acceptance? Yes. Let's let's talk about that for a moment. Well, we got to accept the good and the bad and... I'm sure that we all do a lot of bad and a lot of good, but we have to accept it all because it's what made us who we are. And I imagine that my own thing is that to get to the forgiveness, you have to have the radical acceptance. You have to be able to get to the point where, okay, I see it all. Yeah. I see it all. That's the radical acceptance part. I see it all. I see my part. I see what was done to me. And I see that this little kid that wasn't their fault. And now I can take their hand and forgive everybody that did everything. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it can be really hard just to see everything and acknowledge everything. It's it's a lot of work, but it's very worth it. I will segue to a personal story here again. As part of my recovery, my stroke recovery, one time I have a local lady here who does craniosacral. And I was on her table. She's working on me. She's a very good healer. And I was dealing with a lot of childhood wounds that played into my stroke and played into the lifestyle that I had at the time that definitely contributed to my stroke. And so I was thinking about my daughters. I have twin 14-year-olds. 
and uh, I was just crying, crying, uh, apologizing. I was, I was a little, literally pretty much screaming on her table in the grief. I was saying, I didn't know, I didn't know. I was crying, agony, just absolute agony. She leans close to my ear and says very quietly, and now you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you I'm eternally grateful for saying, and now you do. <laughs> <laughs> See, now, my traumas made me a hermit, like... I haven't wanted to be a part of the world and I've stayed in my comfort zone and stayed at home. But since I've been healing, I'm doing more. Like if you would have asked me a year ago to do a podcast, I would have said no. I would have been so anxious and scared of just everything. Like I'm going to mess up and what if somebody hears me and I say right. the wrong thing? But since I've been healing, I've been doing more, and I've been teaching classes, and my daughter tells me how proud of me she is. She's like, Mom, oh. you're going out and you're making friends. And I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm, now I'm you're a radio star. Things. What? And, and now you're a radio star. maybe one day I'm just I'm happy to be able to give back to the world because this is my way of giving back and doing what God wants me to do so let's talk a little bit more about your course how do people get in touch with you Uh, how was the venue you're teaching us at well it's been kind of word of mouth right now. I haven't put up a website or anything for the microdosing courses, but I am on the Holistic Lifestyle Network, and I have a webpage called Sweet Peas Delights where I can be contacted on Facebook if anybody is interested, and I do them in person, but I can do them online if someone wanted me to, and I can be contacted by email. Okay, well, when we we conclude the the interview, we'll be sure that people have their pencils ready and can write this stuff down. Okay. Uh, My friend who wanted me to be sure to ask you about the formulas in the microdose, he was also talking about Amini mascara. People are apparently starting to use that. And I wonder if you have thoughts about that. I haven't used that yet, but that mushroom spoke to me in a dream and helped me get involved with mushrooms in general. Wow. (laughs) The mushroom came to you in a dream? (laughs) Yeah. It was like, you got to go find the sacraments. (gasps) And I was like, what is that? (laughs) And I'm just online looking for what that meant. And then I found the OMS and I joined the OMS and I learned everything that I've been talking about through them. Tell us what the OMS is, please. It's the Odorary of Mystical Sacraments. It is all about religious freedom and being allowed to participate in with psychedelics religiously because they used to be our right and since that has been taken away you know they formed to try to help people get back in touch with God through the sacraments mm. <clears throat> so Tell us a little bit about <clears throat> about the structure of your, your course. How does it proceed from point A to point Z, let's say? Well, point A, I talk about the history of using mushrooms for healing and getting more spiritual. And then I show some videos and... I talk about what mushrooms have been called throughout history, and 
then I go on to talk about how mushrooms help our brains and the facts about microdosing and how they improve specific things that, you know, like PTSD and anxiety and problem solving. And then I talk about how to microdose. There are different protocols and I like the statment protocols. I talk about You're talking about Paul Stamets? Yes. Okay. Can you tell us what that protocol is and how it varies from other protocols? His protocol is different because he uses the lion's mane and the niacin. Other protocols just use the magic mushrooms. And, yeah, he promotes that you use it, you microdose four days out of the week, and you don't three days out of the week. Give your body a chance to reset, huh? Yeah. Resetting is important. And I believe there are six different microdosing protocols, and I talk about all of them and my favorite protocol is his because I feel like it's been more of an improvement than doing the nightcap protocol which some people would prefer to do because I think that it still scares people to think about using mushrooms so the idea of doing it right before you sleep is helpful for them Mm-hmm. Yep. So I and w- so far that is what my class is, but as I'm learning more, I will be adding more. And can people also do it online or do they have to yes. come to your place wherever you are? They can do it online. I would be more than happy to do it through Zoom and if you don't even want me to like teach you the stuff in my um, work, then I could email it to you. Okay. So I wonder. Obviously, I'm very pro psilocybin. You can tell. And yeah. And uh, I realize I use it a fair amount when I was a young man. And some of the things I was shown as a young man when I would, I would sometimes just go out in the wilderness, take a long backpacking trip and eat a bunch of mushrooms somewhere out in the backwoods. And, and uh, I, a lot of the things I learned from those trips as a young person really prepared me for my stroke, I feel like. It's weird. It's almost like the mushroom was teaching me even before I knew I needed to be taught or what I would need the lesson for. Yeah. And then when I needed less, and there was in my back pocket, because I already <laughs> had the experience. And I'm really intrigued by this idea of mycelium connecting the entire planet as a living being. That is pretty wonderful, right? And did you know that we all share DNA with mushrooms? Well, I'm not surprised I did not know that. Yeah, they're like our oldest ancestor. And they will be here when there's nothing else. And that is pretty awesome. And I love what they do to connect the plants to each other. Like, they're like their own little internet in the ground. Yeah, they're the the original internet. (laughs) Yeah, that is super cool. And I've also had some experiences from my journeying where I was shown things and when I was done with the journey I would talk to people and see that the thing I was shown actually had happened there was yeah. just there was just no way I had no other way of knowing that could have could have happened and if, to find out that it actually did this vision 
you think it's just a vision. You just think, oh, my, I'm just tripping. No. Later on, you say, no, people were really doing those things. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> it's like you you really were seeing something that people were doing. And it's quite amazing. What you just, It's an amazing feeling when you realize that, oh, my goodness, I was... I was tripping, yeah, but I was being shown something that, yeah. li that literally happened. It's connecting you to the human consciousness. Yes, I, I listened to talk today. The, there was a, there's an idea going around that Jesus Jesus was a mushroom. <laughs> I heard that. Yeah. I talk about that in my class. Go ahead and say a little bit about that if you wish to. Well, they're like, Jesus was here, and then he died, and then he rose, and it is kind of like the life cycle of a mushroom. Yes, well, the talk that I heard was uh, was positing that the, the disciples and the followers of Christ in those years they needed to hide from Rome, of course. They killed their their leader, and they would have killed them, no problem. So yeah. they actually they would go in caves, and they would have psilocybin mushrooms in there, and have visions. And but they, they talk about this guy Jesus, so that the Romans wouldn't know beyond them. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but let's face it, we have no idea what really has happened. <laughs> no, I have heard that the mushroom is the holy grail that the Catholics have been trying to hide. And now only the Catholic, the Vatican and the secret societies know about that because they went through all of this work to hide the fact that the Amanata mushroom is the holy grail. And it, the mushroom, when it's like almost through with its life cycle, it turns up into a cup and all the water and psychedelics go down and if you drink that, you're probably going to see God. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> yeah. I do like that in some Middle Eastern areas, they still go out and they collect the manna and you have to wait for lightning to strike because when the lightning strikes the ground it makes the, the magic truffles grow and so when lightning happens their whole families they go out and they dig for the truffles and then they dry them out and then they provide them to everyone in their family so there's this promoted cohesion of community yeah. Of course, all, I like that. all of these things are antithetical to uh, capitalist, monotheistic culture. Yeah. I wish that we would do that. It would be nice if, like, when mushrooms become legal, we could just have these big festivals every now and then, and everybody gets to microdose or have a full trip and become better. Okay, Jamir, we have a call. Okay. Hello, call you on the air with this is Chris Skyhawk and with my guest, Kashmir Woods. Please, what's your question for my guest? Hi, so, you know, I, I really appreciate the show tonight. And I just, you know, based on the subject matter you all been talking about the last few minutes, you know, Essential holy grail, blah blah blah. I just I wanted to add something that you know been part of speculation for some time now is that you know back in the time of Moses that supposedly Moses climbed a mountain and was given the Ten Commandments by God, um, and that in that region on tops of those mountains that certain parts of the rainy season there are psychedelic mushrooms grow, and if you today if you don't sit around and wait for them the deer will eat them before you get to them. Yeah. Well, that's that is one piece of sack that we know that may mix with this terrible, you know, and fable that we have to consider to the, you know, our history. So, okay. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much, caller. And the deers like to eat the amanata mushrooms, and 
there is stories of Santa and the mushrooms are representing that. So in some cultures, the shamans would go out and they would collect the Amanata mushrooms and they would dry them on the pine trees. And then once they were dry, they would go to the local people and some of these people were buried in by snow. So the only way they could get in was to climb down their little chimney and whatnot. And they would provide the mushrooms in exchange for, you know, something they needed, like food and whatnot. And, yeah, they had to make sure the deers weren't eating their mushrooms. But they would give these sacraments as a gift. And I liked reading about that because I was always like, you know, I don't buy this whole Santa story, but... I can get down with the background that I learned from yeah. that. Hey, Kashmir, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we are getting close to the top of the hour already. So I want to be sure that you have a chance to make any closing statements and make sure that our listeners know how to get in touch with you. Um, you can email me at 87 P O R S C H E. 92 at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook under Cashmere Woods. Please say your email one more time. 87 P-O-R-S-C-H-E 92 at gmail.com And please give us any closing thoughts you have in the next couple of minutes here. Oh, I think I'm pretty much done. I really appreciate you having me. Well, you've been, been wonderful to have you. Thank you so much. And thank you. It was great to be here. Okay, we're going to go out with a closing song now. Thanks again, Cashmere Woods. Hit it, Rich. Our closing song is, of course, Walking in Power by Dana Dollinger. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening. Wreck it.